All right, if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It's the bankruptcy chapter. <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> I don't think anybody likes that one, Tommy. All right, so uh, here's, the, uh, here's the, the slide to start us off. I should remind us of last uh, time we were together two weeks ago. Chapters 8, 9, and 10 address the question of whether Christians should or should not eat meat that has been sacrificed to an idol. That was the question. It took three chapters to address that issue. And uh, although today we don't have to worry about that issue at all, we did recognize that biblical principles have to be applied to our decisions. And specifically, biblical principles have to be applied to the decisions that we make about things that are not clearly defined in Scripture. There are things that um, we don't all agree about and we have different opinions about. There are things that we have different convictions about. And so it's a situation where biblical principles have to be applied. Now, the underlying principle, uh, under all of it, the, the major point, the major principle, is that us as Christians, uh, we have to be willing to regulate our freedom voluntarily uh, because we love each other. Not because someone has forced us into a box or put us on a guilt trip. So voluntary is a very important word there. It's something that we do voluntarily. We, we have freedoms as Christians, freedom in Christ to do certain things, but we regulate how we exercise that freedom because we love one another. We love ourselves, but we love other people too. And uh, just as an example, uh, gambling. Uh, just to try to give us an example of something. Uh, gambling may not be wrong in and of itself, but biblical principles have to apply. So whatever the, the questionable activity or whatever the question you have about something, you apply biblical principles to it. You should be doing this, we all should be doing this with everything that we do, whether it's taking a job or buying a car or whatever kind of decisions that we make, we apply biblical principles. And we do this, of course, with things that uh, we have questions about. Um, you know, uh, somebody might want to watch Netflix and, and order in food, or they might want to go out to eat at dinner. And that's, that's their relaxing form of entertainment. In and of itself, there's nothing wrong with that. Some people might want to go to the casino to play cards, because that's relaxing entertainment to them. But that activity, that practice, is something you have to apply biblical principles to. Biblical principles apply to you as a person. And so, as a person, you wouldn't want to uh, become consumed with the, with the desire to get rich. Or to spend too much money. Or to, uh, you know, uh, jeopardize responsibilities that you have. You wouldn't want to become addicted. And so this is where we start to violate biblical principles. And so to avoid 
violating biblical principles, we begin to apply biblical principles to the decisions that we make. Uh, but it's not just about you. It's not just about us. There's other people too. And so uh, if, let's say there's someone that you are around that has a conviction, a very strong conviction against gambling completely. Uh, well, you wouldn't want to encourage them to gamble. You wouldn't want to do something that would encourage them to violate their convictions, violate their conscience. You wouldn't want to take them to the casino just because there's a great deal on a lunch buffet, right? And so you can see that in these, in these questionable activities, things that are not clearly defined in Scripture, we have to apply the principle of regulating our, our freedom voluntarily out of love for other folks. Now, this thought process that we looked at is very important because we're going to continue to use that in this next passage of Scripture. Because what we're going to do is we're going to uh, look at a custom, something that was uh, commonly done in the first century, in, in ancient history, really, and in other parts of the world today. But it's a, it's a custom. And so what you have to do is you have to identify what's a custom and if there's a principle involved in that custom. And if you can separate custom from principle, then you have to decide how, this, how these biblical principles will apply to the custom. So there's different pieces there. And so there was some pieces involved in this. And what we're going to be doing now is got other pieces. But what we do is we, we move through these things consciously and sometimes subconsciously. But there's decisions that we are making and, and steps in our decisions whether we are aware of it or not. And so we're kind of slowing down to do that. Now, I put this up here uh, as a map while we talk for a few minutes. And, uh, and a couple of, if you're new to our study in 1 Corinthians, uh, we've done an introduction to the letter a couple of times now, so we won't s slow down to do that. But I thought it might be helpful just to remind ourselves of, of where Corinth is at there in southern Greece in relation to uh, the Mediterranean and, and so much of the New Testament. So uh, we're talking about customs. What, what, what is a custom? A custom is uh, something that is widely accepted. Uh, it's a widely accepted way of behaving. It's a widely accepted way of doing something. And this is something that might be widely accepted in a, in a specific society. So we might say that there is a, a certain way they do things in Japan. But it could be at a certain particular time. So if we look at all of history of Japan, we might be able to identify a custom in all of that time. In the history of the nation of Japan, we might be able to identify a specific custom. We might see a custom that's always there or one that was specific to a certain time. We might be able to find a custom that was specific to a certain place in Japan at a certain time in their history. But regardless, a custom plugs in. And this is true all over the world. It's true in America. It's true in uh, any country. We all have customs. Uh, customs in the past, and there'll be customs in the future. But the difference is, is that a principle transcends all of that. So no matter where you're at in the world, whether it's in the past, whether it's in the future, whether it's right here today, principles are always true. Principles always apply no matter where you're at. And so it's very important to recognize principles. And like I said, the thought process that we use in applying principles to our exercise of Christian liberty should help us in our passage this morning because it's an extension of it. 
and uh, we're going to be looking at uh, we're going to be trying to identify a custom and a principle and then seeing how the principle does or does not apply in light of scripture to a, any given custom so if you were to get in a plane and go to another place in the in the, in the world today you'd be walking into a culture that has many customs and as a christian you're going to have to apply biblical principles on how you conduct yourself in that location if we were to go back in time to Japanese history, if we were to go back in time to ancient history, anywhere on, the, anywhere on the planet, we should be able to see some kind of a custom. And if we understand it well, then we could make some good decisions about how to apply principles to that custom. All of that to be said is we're going to read something today that's a little bit uh, difficult to hear in our culture. And there's some customs here. And so we want to be able to navigate through this with, a clear, with, our, with our thoughts clear, separating our emotions, and just thinking about what this is actually telling us. Um, I, if there's ever a question, just think about it. If there's ever a question about whether something is a custom or a principle, you just can't really divide it, you're not sure, then we should always err on the side of caution and stay with the custom because uh, if it's not a custom, if it's actually a principle, we run the risk of dismissing something that is timeless. It's one of God's timeless principles. And so uh, we always want to err on the side of caution. So if you run into some kind of custom and you think, well, what, should I do that or just follow the principle and uh, follow the custom, uh, usually is gonna, is gonna be okay. Uh, but um, I would say this, that you're never going to make the right decision if your heart's not in the right place. Your heart has to be in the right place you know, to navigate through all of these things, whether you're supposed to be eating meat or not, and whether you're supposed to obey a custom or not obey it, or modify the custom, or however you're supposed to conduct yourself. You're, you're never going to make the right decision if you don't have your act together, because it messes up the way you think about everything. And that's going to be very true in this passage this morning. Because the text here today has says some things that are going to make some of us bristle. It's going to tell us that the man is the head of the woman. And that a woman should have her head covered. And so this leaves us with the task of determining what is a custom, what is a principle, and what still applies to us today. Because when, we, when you take a custom and you look at it in light of biblical principles, you may find out that you will follow the custom, you might modify the custom, or you might have to reject it altogether. Now, uh, it's going to be talking about head coverings and whether a woman is supposed to be wearing a, uh, something on her head. And uh, the thing about it is, the, is we want to understand why they were doing this. It helps us to understand how it's applicable to us. The head covering, it communicated something. Um, it, it communicated reverence for God's authority and for God's established order. Now that was a custom. But the principle still, uh, this principle still applies. We still want to do, conduct ourselves, whether you're a man or a woman, you still want to conduct yourselves in a way that you show reverence for God's authority and reverence for God's established order. All of us do. And so how is that to be conducted? 
You know, if we uh, do not have humility, uh, we don't have a servant's heart. What is a servant's heart? We've talked about this a million times. Uh, if the guy is the head of the household, if he wears the pants and all this kind of business, well, the women and, and the children in the home, the, the woman, not women, the woman and the, and the children, uh, they're going to have a real hard time submitting to his leadership if he doesn't have a servant's heart. And so the, any time you're a leader, whether you are uh, a, a mother with all of your children, if you're, a, uh, you're at work and you have people that you are in charge of, regardless, uh, you're supposed to have a servant's heart. And this is modeled by Jesus. And so if, if, if you know that everything that I do is for your benefit and that I, I genuinely just want to do the right thing I genuinely want to conduct myself in a way that God approves and to only move forward carefully with your best interests in mind. It's easy to submit to that, isn't it? It's easy to trust that leadership. It doesn't mean it's with a blank check, but you can see the heart and the attitude. And so this is why it's so important for us to conduct ourselves with humility and with a, a, a servant's heart. So when we approach this text this morning, if we don't have that together, if we don't have humility, if we don't have a servant's heart, then we're going to run into problems automatically. Now, in what we just studied, if you don't have a servant's heart, then you may disregard the conscience of a weaker brother or sister. Just disregard, their, their, that's their problem. Disregard the biblical principles that apply and refuse to regulate your behavior. If you don't have humility, if you don't have a servant's heart. And so in our text this morning, when we come to these cultural issues, these customs, it's the same thing. If we let pride get in the way, then maybe we will disregard biblical principles. And refuse to apply them to whatever custom we're looking at. So let's just, let's just check our hearts for a minute, ladies. If God expects you to wear a head covering, will you wear one? Would you, if that's what he wants? Guys, if God expects you to wear a head covering, will you do it? This shows us where our heart's at, where our attitudes are at, where if there's pride in there. If God says jump, how high? Is that going to be your response? So um, if we have the right attitude, we can approach the subject successfully. You know, in our society, no one tells a woman what to do. No one. And that might be the way things are, but, but we should be very careful. We should approach our, our culture with caution. Because a society can violate biblical principles. They may not be following God's guidelines, God's wisdom, His principles. They may not be applying them to their decisions. And the problem is, is that we are people, we're human beings, and we live here. And so culture, our customs, the society uh, in the process can influence the way Christians think and the way Christians behave and the way Christians, you know, interpret Scripture. So our text begins in chapter 11, verse 2. Paul says, Now I praise you, because you remember me in all things and keep their traditions just as I delivered them to you. 
But I want you to know that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of the woman, and God is the head of Christ. Every man who prays or prophesies with something on his head dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since that is one and the same as having her head shaved. So if a woman's head is now is not covered, her hair should be cut off. But if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, she should be covered. A man, in fact, should not cover his head because he is God's image and glory, and the woman is man's glory. And man did not come from woman, but woman came from man. And man was not created for woman, but woman for man. This is why a woman should have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. However, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, and man is not independent of woman. For just as I, for just as woman came from man, so man comes through woman, and all things come from God. Well, that's a whopper. I told you it was. So let's go back up to the top. Verse 2. And I praise you because you always remember me and keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. Now, I don't know about you, but it's awful nice to hear some some good news at this point in the letter. It's, it's nice to hear some affection at this point from Paul. And, and to hear that their doctrine is intact. This word traditions here means precepts. The New Living Translation uses the word teachings. King James uses ordinances. And Wycliffe, John Wycliffe, he used commandments. And so this word traditions means the inspired instruction that's from God. So if we read it that way, verse 2 says, Now I praise you because you always remember me and keep the inspired instructions from God just as I delivered them to you. Well, clearly uh, men are covering their heads when they shouldn't and women are not covering their heads when they should. And so both of them are doing something wrong. They are both dishonoring their head. What is the head? The head means that the father is the head of Christ. Christ is the head of man. A man is the head of woman. And so that's what that's talking about. There's some authority, lines of authority there. And so that's the principle. We should be able to see that very quickly, that there's a principle here that is being dishonored. So whatever these men are doing, whatever these women are doing, it's being dishonorable to this line of authority, this established order by God. That's the principle. Now, chapter 11 begins a series of instructions regarding questions about church order. The, chapter 11 begins a discussion about things that are happening in church. Um, there's order in prayer. If we look closely at what we just read, we're talking about prayer in church. And if there should be order in that. Later in this chapter, we're going to be looking at order in the Lord's Supper and how the Lord's Supper is, is observed. And then chapters 12, 13, and 14 have to do with order and how Christians exercise their spiritual gifts. So it has everything to do with Christians and order when we assemble together in worship. Now, women covered their heads as an expression of purity. It was an expression of modesty. 
And it was an expression of attachment to male leadership, whether that leadership was their dad or their husband. And this is what was being communicated. And so it was dishonorable for them not to do this. That's why Paul says there in verse 5 that you might as well have your head shaved. So if that's dishonorable, then why don't you just have your head covered? This is the point he's making there. Now, in the first century there's, and beyond, and in the, before it and after it, there was uh, people, women caught in adultery, they would cut their hair. Um, some prostitutes had short hair, shaved heads, even uh, it was a sign of lesbianism in some situations. But how much of this is true for society on the whole is really unclear. The easiest thing to see here is that when the woman was not covering her head, it was dishonorable. When the man was covering his head, it was dishonorable. Rather than worrying about the ins and outs of this custom, because we don't have all of the information. We don't want to try to make too, uh, too def- we don't want to be too defined about how we understand what was happening. What we do want to know is recognize in the Bible that we are talking about prayer and prophesying in church. Look at this again. Verse 4. Every man who prays or prophesies. So we are in church. This is a church service. With something on his head dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. So it's not saying that women are supposed to sit there with their mouths shut with a blanket on their head. This is not it at all. It's talking about order that communicates something in the church service in the first century. What is clear is that honor comes from respecting and submitting to God's established order. We see here the order here in verse 3. God is the head of Christ, Christ is the head of man, and man is the head of woman. And the mere fact that Paul returns to the order of creation uh, is, helps us to establish right off the bat that we're talking about something that's timeless. We're talking about principles here. Talk, we're talking about something that has been true from the beginning and will always be and will always continue to be true. That there is a, an order to things that God has established, and no matter who you are, or where you are, or what cust, what society or time, this is something that should be honored, and the way you conduct yourself should be communicating that reverence. Now, order or rank does not have anything to do with something being inferior. One is not inferior to the other. Jesus, we look at this as the father is the head of Jesus. Jesus is the head of man. Man is the head of the woman. Well, Jesus is not inferior to the father. And a woman is not inferior to a man. So it's not talking about that. It's talking about a chain of command. And when we think of a chain of command, that it's not like a enslaving chains. But it's more like snow chains that keep you on the road. They're there for your benefit. So it's, it's, a, it's roles that we have. We think back to the Garden of Eden. We know that, that Eve sinned first. And then she uh, brought the situation to Adam, and Adam sinned second. But they both sinned. So when God came back to the Garden, who did He search out? Did He, did he go straight at Eve's throat? What have you done, Eve? Is that what He did? It's not what He did at all. Genesis chapter 3, verse 9. So the Lord God called out to the man and he said to him, Where are you? 
He went to the lines of authority, the roles. Starting with Jesus as our example, we see that each role is to be lived out in humility with a servant's heart. This is what Jesus did. That's what we're all supposed to do. Now if we look at verse 10, I wanted to point something out. Some of your versions are going to say a symbol of authority and some of them are not. Most will. This is why a woman should have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Well, this, this, a symbol of is inserted there by translators. It's not actually in the text. It was put there to help us understand what Paul's talking about. They're trying to help us out. That's not what the text actually has. It's used to explain that Paul's talking about the head coverings. If we read it that way, this is why a woman should have a head covering on her head because of the angels. King James Version, uh, well, the, the Holman Christian Standard has a symbol of, the, the ESV has a symbol of, the New King James Version has a symbol of, but it's in italics. But this is interesting, the King James Version does not. And neither does the NIV. So if you know anything about the King James folks, they really hate the NIV. But this is one time when they were side by side together with the Greek text. Because what it actually says is a woman should have authority over her head. Not just the symbol. This is why a woman should have authority over her head because of the angels. So what it's telling us is that a woman, this is, it's more timeless if we just stay with the, with the actual Greek text of the New Testament. It's, it's more timeless. It's telling us that a woman is to exercise freedom responsibly in regard to authority. It's always true. And Paul throws in the angels just to give us a little bit, just to, just to, as added emphasis. Because we know that angels are present in our worship. This is an audience that knows all too well what defection looks like and what insubordination looks like. People are watching us. What we do and what we say is being observed and recorded. Paul is saying when we come together as Christians, we want to not do anything that is going to show dishonor towards God's established order. If society thinks a woman's head should be covered, then we're going to cover our heads. When a woman stands up and prophesies or prays in the auditorium where we're all present, she's going to have her head covered. Men, you shouldn't. We want to respect that order. This was a custom that they were observing. This custom communicated reverence for God's authority. Now, in Christ, in the, in the very next verse, look, it says, however, in the Lord... Woman is not independent of man, and man is not independent of woman. For just as woman came from man, so man came through woman. All things come from God. This is talking about who we are in Christ. Now we're starting to talk about our freedom and our equality. In Christ, we are all equal. And we are all free in the Lord. cross brings in, uh, freedom and equality to children, slaves, women, men, 
but uh, just because everything is permissible, this is something that has been said several times in this letter up to this point, just because all things are equal, just because we're all free, everything is permissible, but not everything is profitable. Remember, that doesn't mean that we disregard biblical principles. This custom was a testimony of the church. So uh, you have to think about uh, what they were doing. It's very similar to the decisions that you're making about whether you want to eat meat sacrificed to an idol. You're conducting yourself in a way where you are respecting biblical principles. And that's being communicated to the general public and to each other. So this is why this is happening. Uh, verse 13, let me finish uh, this passage. I think I've got another slide for it. I like those little pictures. That's ancient Corinth. Okay, so verse 13, it says, Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a man to pray to God with her... Is it proper, proper, is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him? That if a woman has long hair, it is her glory? For her hair is given to her as a covering. But if anyone wants to argue about this, we have no other custom nor do the churches of God. And so in this context, long hair was a natural covering for a woman, and head coverings just followed that natural order. And we see that there was no other custom. So this was something that was universally practiced by the first century church. We have no other custom, nor do the churches of God. And so things that were being conducted in the church, I mean, we think about Corinth and all of the things that were going on there. This is just one more slice of the pie in the way that they were disregarding rules, authority, each other's feelings, just disregarding them, doing whatever they wanted. And when we all conduct ourselves in that manner, there is no unity. Love is not expressed. And there's all kinds of problems. And so this is one of the reasons all these things were happening. You know, head coverings communicated respect and reverence and submission to God's order. Um, today, a head covering doesn't communicate that. So if you wore a head covering today, it's not even going to be saying the same thing. But the principle still exists. The principle still applies. So just like, uh, just like Christ, a man is guided by humility with a servant's heart, and so should the woman. I wanted to close with this, this last slide in... Hopefully this will put this in, into perspective of what we're talking about. These are uh, not every single one of them, but these are the major subjects in order that this letter has addressed up to this point. And in each time, in each subject, in each issue, Paul has been hitting on an underlying theme over and over and over. Have a submissive attitude. In our culture, submissive is not a good word. We don't like that word. We're, we're proud people. We fight. We have freedom. We have rights. And uh, so when you start talking about a man being submissive, that's, that's, that's a terrifying concept. We don't want men to be sub submissive. And then for a woman to be submissive, that's not a good... We're just very proud people. So these are tough words for us in America. But it's all about the heart. 
when we talked about divisions, we remember divisions was visited in chapter one and then again in three and four and just kind of re revisited a, a number of times there. It's talking about instead of conducting yourself with, with pride, which causes these divisions that you're having, have a submissive attitude. Submit to God. Let, have humility. Have a servant's heart. Knowing that He's in charge of all of these things and He can work this stuff out and it's not your responsibility to fix everybody else and you're not supposed to be number one and in the number one team and you, you know... This is divisive attitude. So instead of pride, have a, have a more submissive attitude. We talked about the world views. And what people were doing is continuing to just think like the world did and applying world's wisdom to everything that they were doing instead of God's. And so they were not submitting to God's wisdom and letting God be in charge and seeing the beauty and the, and the, the wonder in the way that he thinks and his value system. And how it's like being a tree planted by a stream of water. It just nourishes you. There's great sustenance and security and peace that comes by living in God's wisdom. And so this was something they weren't doing. It was because they had a, a prideful attitude instead of a submissive attitude to God. The situation of incest where a man was with his father's wife. They weren't addressing it. The church wasn't addressing it. And this is because they were not submitting to the authority of the local church. Nobody was. This is why we talked about church membership. Why people should be members of a church. If you're not a member of a church, then you haven't submitted to the authority of the church. You're still out there on the outskirts doing what you want. And that's a dangerous place for a believer because you, you come under the umbrella of a local church, you submit to that authority and that leadership, and you agree with God, you have brought me here, this is where you want me to be, this is where you want me to serve you. I don't know how long, but this is where you want me to be to serve you. And so there's accountability and great protection. And so this wasn't happening. And it was illustrated by their failure to address this problem. They were suing each other. And we remember that they were suing each other because people were doing wrong things to each other. Which shouldn't have been happening, but rather than taking the hit, they were suing back. And Paul makes the point, he says, we're supposed to share in the sufferings of Christ. And so if someone takes advantage of it, it doesn't mean we're punching bags, okay? It doesn't mean that at all. We remember what we studied, but there's an attitude there that at a certain point, maybe it's better to just take the loss than to drag your brother and sister into court in front of the world and let the world judge us. It's better to accept the sufferings of Christ. And so they weren't doing that because they didn't have a submissive attitude. It was a prideful attitude. We looked at the sexual immorality that was happening. People were not submitting to the ownership of Christ. Instead, they were indulging. We spent quite a bit of time talking about marriage and what marriage is, biblical marriage. Not what Hamilton County says about marriage, but what God does. Why it's important to be married and to fall within the guidelines of marriage. And we looked at messed up relationships, things that have happened along the way that's not pretty and we find ourselves divorced and remarried and divorced again and 
a single and a widow. We, we find ourselves in all these situations. And so it was a wonderful study, and I hope it was good, for, good to, to walk through because it showed us what it's like to have a submissive attitude to God's authority and to trust Him with His guidelines, to trust Him with the principles that He's given us. And so what we were doing there in marriage was we were submitting to the sovereignty of God. And then last time we were together, we looked at freedom, the freedoms that we have as believers, and how at times we may give up our freedoms for the benefit of others. And then finally this morning, head coverings. This is submitting to God's authority, submitting to His order. Lines of authority are the channels that God uses to bless us. Failing to submit is like stepping out from underneath an umbrella in the rain. Let's pray.